Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Joining me today, we have Clint Evans. Hi, Clint. Hey, Amanda, or Dr. Kelly. I'm sorry. Thank you for inviting me on. I am excited to be with you. You can call me Amanda, Dr. Kelly, or Behavior Babe. Clint, why don't we go ahead and start by having you give an introduction of yourself for our listeners? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, again, as you said, I'm Clint Evans. I am a BCBA LBA on the Metro East of St. Louis. I help run the platform called Behavior Chef. Our tagline is where nutrition meets behavior. So we're interested in diving into the behavioral aspects of people's nutritional journeys. That's awesome and excellent. Hey, how did you get started or find behavior analysis? How did it enter your life? I, um, uh, kind of a backdoor channel, really. I was in college, my undergraduate, and I needed a helping person's profession to finish out my internship hours for a psychology degree. So I found this company that did some respite care work with some individuals that are on the ASD spectrum. And, um, you know, I fell in love with the families with just the whole process. And then this, this lady kept coming to visit me once a month. And it was probably like four months in, I was just like, Hey, who are you? Like, what do you do? Like, I know there's, you're a supervisor, but like you're collecting these sheets that I've been taking down and there's like data on them, you know, what's, and so she's like, I'm a BCBA and here's what I do. And so shout out to Teresa Reedy. If you're listening, thank you, Teresa, for the introduction to ABA. From there, I started working at a school uh, that focused on ABA. And then I moved from there. And that's where I actually met Tony Chambers, who is the second piece of behavior chef. He was a supervisor of mine and we both just clicked and we've been friends for a long time now. And um, Tony is a huge fan of home cooking. Like the guy is, is a genius at it. And so I'll probably, we'll probably get into this later, but that's kind of how we connected again to start, you know, the behavior chef idea together. Fast forward from there. I, when I was at the school, I did some more ABA stuff. And then I was like, man, I really, really want to do this for a living. So I started a grad program in counseling. I thought I was going to do uh, licensed professional counseling. And I was, I, I did that for about a year in the college that I was at or the university at the time. I didn't, I wasn't aware they had an ABA program. And then I was just told, Hey, we just started like, you would be literally like the third or fourth cohort overall. So I just switched within the same university that was Lindenwood. I'm actually wearing their shirt now. You can't see it, but I went to Lindenwood, Lindenwood university here in St. Louis. And um, I got to meet uh Towards the end of my program, actually, I got connected with Dr. Maggie Pavone and uh, Maggie's Good People. Just it's such cool, like a small little network that we've got, you know, that, that gets us to where we're going. And, you know, you get to meet people that you would never expect to. Names that you hear. Uh, I mean, I'm on the Behavior Babe podcast. Not something that I would have expected. So this is really cool for me. It's just kind of like we were talking off air. It's just nice to meet cool people. And that's kind of what my journey into ABA has been. During grad school and afterwards, I was the supervisor and, and BCBA for an adult day program. Uh, for a little while. And then, um, and now I work as a BCBA for a great company in uh, the Metro East. I've been here for a couple of years. Love it. Um, but you know, my, my passion is, uh, just like yours, I believe, um, is disseminating a lot of information. And I know that's a big, scary, fancy term. So just talking about ABA to other people, it's kind of what I like to do. 
Well, I love that you're joining me today and that we're talking about ABA. And I also find it cool that we're geeking out about our science, but we have these different interests in these different applications. So you mentioned that you're working or that you had done some work in adult day programs and that you're currently working for an amazing agency. How did you go from, I'm not sure what behavior analysis is to, okay, I'm going to pursue it to, this is what I do for my day job. And now how can I apply it to these other interests? It seems so fluid and natural, and I'm sure that's not the case. So maybe you can kind of share with people a little bit more about that journey. Yeah, for sure. It was um, a lot of, I think there was a lot of antecedent interventions before I got to grad school. I changed my idea of what I want to do time and 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 And probably another time again. Uh, I literally switched programs in college. I, you know, I mean, I went to an extra year of grad school to make sure it's what I wanted to do. I incurred a lot of unnecessary debt. So if my wife listens, I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) But I have, um, I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I I took such this existential look, you know, it's such a big question to answer. What am I going to do? What's my impact? Who am I? You know, and when you're in your early twenties and you're on your own learning big words, it's, it's, it's hard to really figure out who you are and who people are molding you to be, which you know, learning is a combination of the two, really, but we can dive into that on another topic. But um, how I came to it was I, I fell in love with the people. I didn't know that bad ABA existed. And, and I know now it's, it does. And now great ABA overshadows bad ABA, but bad ABA is there. And I didn't, uh, I didn't have mentors that did, in my perspective, that did bad ABA. I had mentors that uh, were people first and they weren't just a textbook. And, you know, there's, I've seen in our field, I I kind of see like the differentiation of like those that are just staunch behaviorists and those that are fluid behaviorists. And, you know, you get a little bit of, of, uh, again, we could go on a whole tangents here, but I was lucky enough to have some great mentors who taught me to look at people first. Uh, I remember one time specifically in grad school, I was trying to figure out, you know, when you're applying all of the, the, uh, all of our stuff, all of our jargon together. And we were in this like methods class and one of my professors gave us the, you know, scenario sheet said, write a behavior plan for this kid. And this kid was having off task behavior and their seed, you know, it's a scenario. It's not a real thing. I mean, I'm sure it's based on a real story, but it wasn't an actual client that I was working with, but it was uh, a kid that, you know, would tap his fingers and get up and flap around and do all this stuff. And so I started writing like these contingencies to keep him seated and, you know, response cost if he got up and all this stuff. And I took it over to her and this robust thing, I showed it to her and she just took one look at it, set it down and looked at me and goes, what do you want him to do? And, um, and I said, well, I, I want him to learn. And she said, so does it matter if he stays in a seat? I said, no, it doesn't. She goes, exactly. Go write it again. And then I went and wrote it again and it was, you know, incredibly focused on reinforcement of the target behavior of acquiring a skill, um, you know, breaking down a mathematic or whatever the equation was, it wasn't about sitting in a seat, but she did that. I think she did that to show us like a lot of times we'll look at the wrong thing and then we'll target the wrong thing. And then we create the wrong type of behavioral repertoire and a client accidentally on purpose. You know, it's, it's, we focus on what, you know, I know it's a dirty word and maybe half the time, but non-compliance, right. We'll, we'll focus on uh, that kind of a thing. And just, just people like that to me and the clients that I got to serve and work with, and I still do and their families, like I'm a very people oriented person. So that side of, of ABA is, is what's driven me to be one of the people that shine a light on the good side and say that we can recover from the bad. 
Um, so that's kind of driven me to where I am professionally, uh, where I am now. My, you know, I, I want to make our science. I want the world to see how cool it is. And, and I think my my calling or gift of it, I guess, would be um, this other application of nutritional behavior. And that's kind of my main focus outside of work. Uh, now, my my biggest hobby is nerding out on people's nutritional journeys. I love that. Nerding out on people's nutritional journeys. But also, yeah, I mean, we all have to pay our bills and, and do the day job. But I think one of the the pieces about being really creative in the application, the understanding and implementation of behavior analysis is realizing it's a really cool science and it can help us with so many things. And I liked how you said you want the world to see how cool it is. When I find people who I feel connected with, regardless of their background, their training, or when they got into the field, I often find the commonality is the shared enjoyment. Man, this is really cool. Now, science can be misapplied. Things can be done imperfectly. Things can be refined and done better, and they should be. I'm definitely with you on that page. But it does come from the shared passion of like, hey, Look, I wasn't born uh, told, like, join the ABA cult and then tell everybody how amazing this, like, religion is. It's, it's yeah. not that. It's more of I saw the effect on my own life and on the lives of the people I cared the most about. And then I felt compelled to learn as much as I could about it and then to share or create the platform for it. So I know you said you were geeking out a little bit or you didn't expect you'd be on a Behavior Bay podcast. I never expected to be behavior babe. So (laughs) I think the beauty is sometimes just following the passion and allowing the evolution to occur. I agree. And so I wanted to kind of bring that back to what you were saying too, of the calling of the interest of the nutritional piece. Have you always had an interest in nutrition and health and fitness or cooking or where did that personal part come in to blend in with your love of the science? Sure. Uh, I wouldn't say a love, I would say a love hate with nutrition. And, um, I, um, I definitely, I grew up in a household where sports was a thing and, you know, I've, I've been a, uh, a person that I, I, early on, I learned how to lift weights when I was 13. My brother owned a gym. He was a powerlifting coach, you know, so I, I got in early on, on lifting weights um, but no one ever taught me how to eat functionally. So I just ate everything and I'm a pretty emotional guy. So there's a lot of unconditioned and, and, and conditioned pairing as a teenager and as an adult in general, you know, and I have a relationship with what I, what I would call yo-yo dieting or, you know, faulty stimulus control or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so how I, be, how I came here, honestly, is when I was in grad school, we had, my wife and I had just gotten married. Uh, I was in grad school working, you know, full time and doing all these things and response effort was really low to push reorder on Domino's. And, you know, um, when I did that, I recognized a few weeks after doing that, that my clothes were a little tighter than they've ever been. And uh, this is a part of my journey I don't mind sharing. So I, I, I'm, I'm six two. I'm a pretty big guy. Like I'm a tall guy. I stepped on the scale at 365 pounds and um, like I had a little bit of a, a, I don't even know what to call it. It was almost like a panic attack when I saw that number staring at me. Um, And so I, long story short, I found a company in my area that did basically, it's almost a Weight Watchers style thing and you pay them a bunch of money 
to give you a diet program and help you learn how to cook and to eat, do all this stuff. They, you know, you weigh in with them, they counsel with you, they, all this accountability. And I ended up losing 65, 70 pounds. Um, great, you know, and I've kept, uh, kept that off. And there's a few more that I'm working on now. Um, losing, you know, for, for myself, my wife lost 35 pounds. So we did this whole thing and I just couldn't tell you how good I felt. And then it wasn't, we've only been, we haven't even been a thing for two years yet. Uh, Behavior Chef was February 14th of 2018. And I remember I took my wife to a really nice dinner. It was a great dinner, sad place that doesn't exist anymore. It was a local, this old mansion that they had turned into a restaurant. And it was just idyllic. I mean, especially for February 14th, there's a fireplace and it's just this old wooden scenery, like the, the manor style eating. I mean, it was gorgeous scenery. And then I had a great dinner, a great time with my wife. And I, and I was just talking like, I remember getting home and I had just, I got certified in 2018. So I've been certified for a little over two years. And I remember sitting down and I was like, I, I have something for this field. I don't know what it is or where it is. And then I just started, I joined like all the health and fitness stuff right away. There's a great uh, SIG, the health sports and fitness um, special interest group. Uh, I'm a board member of a great one now, the OER SIG, uh, the open education resources SIG. Like there are these great niche SIGs that are there. And, and then I, um, I started following, actually, I think that was when I started following like you and Dia from Behavior Man and like, you know, some of the bigger names that I would see because I was still new to the, like the world had just become unlocked to me. So I joined the group Behavior Analysts Get Fit and, and I saw everybody talking about the exercise, exercise. We could do so much with personal trainers. We can do so much with, you know, Jim Moore did this fantastic study that same year uh, of the chaining methods for um, Olympic lifting and teaching it. I mean, that was, and got it published in Java. Absolutely fantastic stuff. So we talked about that on, you know, an episode of, of my podcast with, we geeked out about that for a while and um, just a different application to our stuff. Right. So I remember sitting there thinking, what can I do? And, and I thought, what, what about nutrition? Arguably the greatest connective behavior that human beings share across the board, language, creeds, religions, whatever it is, we all eat. Every single human eats. Um, like there, that is the, I, to me, I think is if we had to break down the most communal behavior other than the reflexive acts of breathing and things like that, that humans do is we eat. And so, and that, and yes, it's a completely conditioned behavior. Trust me. And so um, you don't have to trust me. You can do the digging for yourself. That's all. That's fine. I, I would love to hear some more other ideas other than my own, but I just created this Facebook page. I put it in some of the groups out there and then I fell asleep and I woke up to we had like 300 likes overnight and a bunch of messages. Hey, what is this? What are you doing? And I literally said, I have no clue. I just wanted to put my foot into a door before somebody else saw the opportunity. And here we are a year and a half later, we've started to build a great audience. We've built, you know, great connections with people like yourself. Um, we've built some great concept ideas for future research that we plan on doing. I mean, it's hard to do when it's, you know, when it's your side thing, when it's your, uh, you know, your passion project and you have a family and uh, to support and, you know, you have a, a job to do and all that stuff, but uh, you get it. Yeah. I saw that little, like, yeah, I get it, but I'm super stoked, you know, from, and blessed to be where we are now from, from where we are. What I find so exciting, Clint, is just the, 
the way in which you make it so personable. And my, you know, my mission for people is, um, you know, I have a, we, we have always had the stance, Tony and I both with, you know, crafting the behavior chef, we're taking our time to create things because we want them to be impactful as soon as they're released. And we're working on a, a several things uh, on the back burner that will be out, you know, hopefully there's sometime soon. The pandemic has kind of put a hold on some of that. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure everybody understands that. But we have the the thought to reach back into the community that built us and to also push forward into a community that doesn't know who we are. So our, our goal is to be able to impact the autism community um, and the DD community and those that have a diagnosis that I don't. And to so the neurodiverse crowd, we want to be able to reach back in and give back to our communities there. And to also push the science of ABA into the realms of health and fitness um, specifically nutrition. And so we're doing that in a few ways. And, you know, we're looking at doing things that are specific to food rigidity, you know, with, with ASD kiddos or, you know, clients. I know some don't like the word kiddos, so I apologize if that's one of you, but it's just a thing that stuck with me. And then we're also looking into the idea of small steps and easy, like the introduction of ABA to the rest of the world. You know, um, I, I, I work with a trainer myself. I actually have a great trainer, but I've heard through the grapevine and just listening myself, one of the one of the problems trainers seem to have is this all or nothing mentality where you got to be bought in 100%. And if you're not doing it, you're, you know, it's not good enough. And you said it perfectly. You can fumble your way to success. Um, if, if football teams can do it, you can do it. And so if, um, you know, that's why I've, I've been working. So we're, we're actually going through precision nutrition classes now to become certified nutrition coaches with the uh the top uh rated nutrition course that's out there short of getting a degree uh, i don't think i have any more um, loans in the bank to go back for another degree so yeah yeah it's not cheap so finding ways to do it um, but adding an aba spin i put a post up a, a couple of weeks back about you know just checking your your routine and um we took some of the basics of behavior, you know, contacting reinforcement often, um, something that's easy to do and something that's something that I, that I want to do that creates an MO and not just a, uh, a, a reinforcement value for a moment, but it creates natural contingencies that make me want to keep doing it. So, you know, we came up with, um, is what you're doing, uh, is it functional? So are you even doing the right stuff for the goal that you're looking for? That's something that you need to look at, you know, sort of a component analysis of sorts. And then is it frequent? Is it, is it, are you frequently able to do it enough to contact reinforcement? So it continues. Also the very biggest, the biggest one, I think, uh, which I mean, we could even flop it around the other way and have that the first one, but it's fulfillment is what you're doing leading uh, to something that's going to become fulfilling in a way that it becomes second nature. It becomes now part of your daily routine. I'll tell you, uh, we have a group for this behavior analyst get fed and uh, I played with I, I, the pandemic stopped the coolest thing I've ever created and we did a group contingency to get people to cook more at home. And uh, we called it the Iron Behavior Chef, right? And each week there was a color presented um, of ingredients. And the whole idea was on the thread for that week, everybody would go and get, so the first color I think was green. And, you know, we'd start off simple and it would scale its way up to something a little more difficult, but go and get green ingredients make a meal, create, uh, take a picture of it, post it to that thread. And the more pictures that you posted, the more opportunities you had for likes from other people. 
And, you know, the more social reinforcement your stuff got, whoever had the most at the end of the week became the banner for the page for that next week. And it was, it was probably my proudest non-clinical thing I've written because it was just so much fun. And we had so many entries and such a good time. We were doing it for a month. And I think it, you know, right when we started, it was like week three that everything kind of shut down. And so we haven't been able to get back to it yet. But the response that we got from our own community, you know, that was just excited to, to cook. And it wasn't, and it, this was, it was an open response class for sure. It wasn't like any criteria, you know, you have to chop something up and take a video of yourself using the, the chiffonade or doing a, you know, a specific knife skill. It was literally like, Hey, if you don't cook at home and you know, you bought some spinach and you put some carrots in it, that counts. If you, you know, if it was something you didn't do at the store, something you didn't buy and it was something that you did yourself at home. It didn't even have to be necessarily health conscious. It was like, I think somebody did some like, you know, gummy bears one time in something just as a joke. And it was like, I didn't set the rule for it to be healthy. You know, that's that, that's, but that's where we come in because that's our own ontogeny, right? That's each individual's ontogeny. And we have to unpair so much with that. And so that's one of the ideas of our, of our mission is to help people understand that you can, I'm going to borrow your phrase there. You can fumble your way to success. Um, it's all right to fall down, right? Um, what I, I've learned, uh, I, think, I think it originated with a Skinner and it's definitely a ripoff of, you know, a better way of putting it, but there are no, there are no wrong answers, only learning opportunities. And um, if, if we have that approach with our clients, I noticed a lot of our practitioners don't have that approach with their own nutrition, with their, with themselves, with their own values. And so we kind of want to, we wanted to start and introduce ourselves to our community, but our biggest focus, our biggest focus isn't y'all. Our biggest focus is the, the numbers in our country and across the world that say um, sedentary lifestyles, obesity, things um, that are on the rise are on the rise. Um, and we can break that down with, you know, not only what are you eating calories in calories out that sort of stuff nutritionally, but we're also talking like, what are your skills like in the kitchen? Right. Do you have an aversion to cooking? Why? What's, what's going on there? What's the easiest thing you can make? Can you replicate that a couple of times with different ingredients? Can you build upon that and make it a little better? Can you feed people and be excited about cooking for other people? Maybe that'll make you want to cook for yourself. So we're exploring all these ideas to dive in and make, you know, these, robust response classes out of simplified ideas just so people can enjoy what they're doing. Excellent. I remember reaching out to you when you had one of those challenges in your group. So it must've been at the beginning of the year or the end of last year. And it was something, let's just use the challenge you said, like cook something green. And I was like, well, actually where I live or I can't get this or that's not possible. And I'm on an Island and I want to participate, but I don't know if I can meet your criteria. And you were like, identify something green. All right, let's just go to an earlier form of that behavior in the same response class. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm just going to get to check this off my to-do list or throw it in the, on the back burner. And you were like, no, maybe there's a gap or deficiency in the criteria I set. So I'm going to pivot and adjust. Sometimes I think when we're talking about behavior change, that's very difficult. And there's nothing more difficult than what we eat and what we do with our bodies because it's constant, because we're getting conflicting information, because butter is good, butter is bad. Eggs are good, eggs are bad. We know 
the less in, the more out, or the more you know in, the less out, that that's going to impact your overall outcomes. But when we think about things from more sensitive measurements or ways to detect change, it's like, hey, did your blood pressure go down? Hey, did you have less sodium intake? Hey, did you cook more things that were green? Hey, did you cook something at all? And what I really appreciated, because this is an area that's completely deficient in my own repertoire, my own learning history. Um, I know off air, we were talking a little bit about my family growing up in the military. So everything was in the cans or frozen or freeze dried. I didn't learn about fresh vegetables. Um, a joke that I have is when I turned 21 and moved to Massachusetts, I was around my extended family for Easter and there was ham and there was potatoes and green beans, just lots of different um, amazing, delicious food. And I spent the entire time hovering over the green beans and I pretty much ate three pounds of green beans that day. And my family was like, what are you doing? My extended family. And I was like, well, I've never had green beans like this. I'm like, what did you do to them? And they're like, oh, sweetheart, they're not from a can. <laughs> and I was 21 years old before I actually fully understood like, wow, things taste different. Mm -hmm. So it is a lot about our learning histories and, and reinforcement punishment histories. And again, like I said, off air, I think my parents are pretty perfect in every other way. So if yeah. that's one area of deficiency, well, then I can be an adult and I can learn that skill. You also mentioned about people carving out time and prioritizing themselves over their clients or their other needs in their life. And so can you talk about maybe even just like the variables of, of competing contingencies or time or whatever else you've noticed? Like the people who start off interested in your group, I'm sure you've seen growth in them. Mm -hmm. uh, what kinds of things are they sharing or what can you share with us about those experiences? Sure. Um, man, you bring up so many great points especially the competing contingencies, because I think what's special about the behavior of eating that most, I mean, all other behaviors have, but I think it's, it's very specific and unique to this behavior is the private events that are surrounding it. The learning history, the, the, the conditioned, unconditioned responses, you know, what's paired and tied in these stimuli that are running together over time. And I was on a podcast recently and talking about like the idea, it was a non-behavior analytic podcast. So we were explaining like reinforcement, punishment, you know, just the basics. And I, I applied it to, to uh, food. And I said, you know, like, and then competing reinforces actually, we got into that. So I said, you know, I, as an adult, I have um, sort of an aversion to ice cream, uh, to eating it because when I was young, I used to eat a lot of it. And then there were comments that were made every once in a while that would pair themselves with the act of eating ice cream. So that followed me through adulthood. And then when I was, when I became an analyst, I was able to break that down and say, Oh, here's why. And then using a bit of the, the act approach, I was able to just let them exist. You know, just thanking my mind for their ability to be there. The dictator within is not me. It's just, a, it's an amalgamation of, of things that have been said to me <laughs> that I've thought about me things that, so the power isn't in, the dictator, the power is in within me, but I choose who has the power. And so that's kind of in a nutshell, the idea of, you know, I'm just very basic into act, but that's the biggest thing that I get from it is this ability to the, the power to sit in the audience of your own mind and watch these, this play unfold and not interact with it, but just watch it to be there. It's, it's just running. It's like a TV in the background when you're going to sleep, you're not really paying attention to what's going on, but it's just there. And getting to that level has really done so many things for me. And I realize that it, not everybody has that yet. 
so that's, you know, one thing that we want to do. And that's where I think the blessing of the pandemic is time. If anything else, if there's one thing I think is the blessing, it's time. So at the beginning of it, when we were all, you know, learning what all this was and who had to do what, we were able to put on some CEU events where um, we did, I, I hosted a live cooking class for a CEU event for a few weeks. And I did it again in July with the DBA um, SIG, the Dissemination of Behavior Analyst SIG, great group of people there. And um, one of the things that I did was clear, concise, and complete recipes or what we would call task analyses. And so, um, you know, I had color coded for different, different uh, uh, stimulus prompts um, to show which one was which. And I guess eliciting or whatever is the word. I sometimes forget it. Uh, you know what I mean? We mess up our own science and I'm, 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 and I'm one of the people that's okay with flubbing up every once in a while because I'm human. But um, you know, the evocative effect of it was to, get people to choose and remember which one was the right one, which one had a, a time component missing or, you know, ingredients list or whatever it was. But then while we were doing that, we also did a live demonstration on cooking um, spaghetti sauce. So I taught everyone in 20 minutes or so to create homemade pasta sauce that they could freeze or save. And so we, not only do we talk behavioral dimensions and stuff like that, but we, we made something healthy. It was, it was from your, in, in your hands. So I wanted people to see like all of the, the faulty information about cooking is, you know, oh man, I could never make spaghetti sauce from scratch. I even broke it down to a simplest form. You needed three ingredients to make it. That was it. Three ingredients, 20 minutes, you have homemade pasta sauce. And I promise you it's better than anything you can buy in a jar. So that was a draw. We had a good crowd. And then, you know, uh, we had people tag us on Instagram and I had, um, uh, Rosie eats is one of the, uh, Rosie Jeffers is awesome. And, uh, she, you know, she was in every single one of my CEUs that I did this pandemic and she was at this one and she messaged us, you know, a couple months later and was like, Hey, I froze some of this. Now I'm, I'm using the last stuff. Like here's she, you know, out of that one thing, I think she posted like six or seven meals and tagged us in it that she made. And I thought, man, look at that. Look at that response class grow. Right. So in effect, our, I guess our CEU event was an MO for her to create new meals just out of the thing she's already made herself. That's the power of time. Uh, I think one of the powers of time of getting time is to recognize some things don't take as much time as we thought it would. That makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, for me during the pandemic, I actually, um, I live alone on an island and I, um, I don't cook. The joke used to be that I could make popcorn or a sandwich and not because I can't follow a task analysis, but because I'm traveling and a big part of, of cooking is having the right ingredients, going to the store, planning things out. And I realized I don't have those skills in my repertoire or I didn't. And during the pandemic, one of the things that, that shifted was about donating to the local areas, um, supporting local farms, um, local schools. And so it was $35 a week uh, for a box of vegetables. And it was always a farmer's choice. Awesome. So I was getting the most random stuff. Like, I don't know what to do with this daikon radish. And mm. what am I going to do with this skinny eggplant that doesn't make real eggplant parm? And, and so I, I found myself with like, the opportunity, the time, the ingredients, but also because those ingredients came into my life from a shared values perspective. Absolutely. The community, supporting the schools, donating. Not that I don't care about vegetables. I, I do. 
um, I just would often be gone before they would be used or eaten. Mm -hmm. And then when you're talking about time, one of the things I realized was I had more time than I ever wanted on my hands during this pandemic. And I'm sure many of us feel that way with certain tasks or limited to certain uh, places. So I started to try to prepare meals that took almost all day. I actually took this opposite approach of like, I want, I want to cook things that take me all day so that I'm not on the computer, so that I'm away from some of these mm -hmm. things. And I'm now using up my time. Um, I think that was once we realized the pandemic was more than a week or a month or two. And we realized like, oh, this is our, <laughs> our new normal. Yeah. Uh, and, and I ended up making things like ratatouille. I, I, my mom said to me the other day, what is that? And my dad says, is that the cartoon with the rat? And I'm like, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, and you can use the, the, the dish from ratatouille and the whole essence of that for the, the science or behavior or blessing or whatever you want to, whatever name you want to put on of cooking. Ratatouille is such a simple rustic dish. It's some, a few vegetables, some sauce, and a couple bits of seasoning and a lot of love, right? Ratatouille is a values-driven dish. And I think that that, to me, is what is different for us versus, uh, you know, we talk about the three-term contingency all the time in traditional ABA. Every once in a while, we'll pepper in the four-term contingency. In my, in my mind, nearly not, like, it's, it's a travesty. We don't do it enough because we, we dismiss so many things with EOs and and MOs, AOs, however you, you know, whatever framework of you come from or what age of ABA you come from to use the MO or the EO and AO, whatever. But we, we don't use it enough. We don't look at that enough because it's not salient enough for us. You know, it, it's not discreet and in the, in the sense of beginning end, that kind of thing. And that's why I, I think I've always been the kind of guy that goes, uh, if you ever seen the movie, the, the lucky number 11, I love that movie. And it's this old movie, uh, oh, not, well, it's 2007, I think, but uh, about a bunch of con men doing things. And Bruce Willis is in it and Josh Hartnett and Lucy Liu and Morgan Freeman, you know, really cool actors. And um, one of the things that always stuck with me there is Bruce Willis says, you know, it's, we call it the Kansas City Shuffle. When everybody's looking right, we go left. And so I always attribute, like that resonated with me because I've always been the guy that does things different. So when somebody is like, hey, we're all going this way, I was like, well, no, I want to look at this. And so when I started learning in grad school about the four-term contingency, and I had some, some people that were pushing me to, to look at that more than just, all right, you know, this was the antecedent, this was the behavior, this was the consequence, but what is the setting event? What is, you know, what are the private events? What's going on? You know, like, so, and specifically when I started working with adults, there's a lot more MOs that you have to look into, a lot more robust sophisticated ones you know loss of family loss of you know just that was a huge one that i dealt with with a few different clients that really opened my mind to okay now that behavior change is huge and, and that mo doesn't go away that's going to be there a while so we got to work through it right it's, it's not just something that is it's lingering and i think people have these lingering mo's that we don't really address so around food there's this huge one and it's everybody's life has got one you know there's like there's that one especially if you if you buy into and I'm not going to go on the soapbox very long so don't worry but the if you buy into the diet culture um I um, I just did a podcast episode myself that'll be releasing soon on health at any size uh with a dietitian who practices health at any size and incorporates some act into her own practice so um, it's beautiful. I love it. And the idea is that it's, it's shaping 
at its basic form is that, you know, we don't have to, the end goal is not the 22 year old with 6% body fat and abs. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties. I am well versed. I'm a married man. I, uh, I like what I like. I like the foods that I like. I just want to be a little healthier. So, you know, I can live longer. Of course I have, no, for me, I have my own personal goals. Like I'm working with a trainer myself because accountability, um, somebody else holding my reinforcement is, is important to me. And so there's an MO there to, uh, hire, literally hire someone. I, I remember sitting down with him and I said, I know what I'm doing. Like, I don't need you. Cause I do, I know, I know what to do, but I also know, and I've done it enough and I've scrolled through my own repertoire enough to know that I can't be the one that holds the end of this contingency. And so sure enough, we're already off to a great start and, um, you know, working with him, um, I guess it's just the values driven piece of like, I know the things I want out of life and it's learning. This is going to sound really weird, I guess, but it's, it's learning how to be comfortable in uncomfortability. Right. And so, um, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's strange. It's, I don't think we, we don't, I know we talk about it as a field, but if I'm honest, we don't talk enough about private events. We don't talk enough about how um, dignity really plays into things or how uh, embarrassment plays into things or how, you know, and, and, and I know we do and we're getting there and I, I can't wait to see us get there, but we talk about it for our clients. I find it crazy that we can do that for a client and really dig into the family and, you know, dig our heels in with mom and dad and dive into this sobbing story in parent training where we're like digging in and, you know, and we're seeing this client just turn around and everybody's being praised and excited. And it's this ethereal emotional moment. And then we go home and we don't apply the same concept to ourselves. I often have the joke that sometimes the skills that, um, or the deficits that I help my clients overcome, I actually acquire so I'm like, oh, I've helped you learn to wash your dishes and organize your clothes. And I go to my house and all of my dishes are full in the sink and my clothes are overflowing. Some of these skills weren't in my repertoire and the pandemic allowed me to insert them. And now that they are there, what do I do to maintain them? And and I joke because like I said, I couldn't make popcorn or a sandwich. And now I'm making ratatouille and lasagna and crepes and curry. And just a quick shout out to the folks at Open ABA. They had reached out to me about a platform they've created um, that's free of charge, kind of discrete trial platform for individuals with autism. And when they reached out to me one day, one of the designers who's not a behavior analyst said, well, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to Katie about that at our cooking class tonight. And I said, cooking class, can I join? And I literally, Clint, invited myself into this cooking class of people who technically had nothing to do with me and had not invited me into their cooking class. And it was a really way, a way for them to um, have like a, a collaboration between their, their staff and volunteers. And I completely invited myself and um, they were wonderful. And that's how I learned to make crepes was the first thing. Mm, and, that's a, that's and, an art right there. Yeah. I was like, you and why are you teaching me crepes and curry? I just need to learn to make like rice or like heat up some vegetables. And, and I'm not joking, <laughs> although I'm laughing. And what I realized was essentially this, this individual, this amazing individual who had uh, no direct connection to ABA, he really understood behavioral skills training. So yeah. when we were doing some of the, the recipes, I remember being like, oh, this is, 
this is just a task analysis. Like for a girl who's never cooked, it wasn't even translatable because I didn't know. And I said to one of my friends, well, I'm not cooking. I'm just following a recipe. And she said, well, what in the world do you think cooking is? She said, it's following a recipe until you figure out your own fluidity with it. And then you can create things, but that's cooking. And so part of it actually for me, Clint came down to shifting my operational definition of cooking. Awesome. I thought it was being an art, an artist and, and actually it could just be following a task analysis until you can find your flexibility within the art. So yeah, it's a successive chain of behaviors that ends in a delicious edible meal. That's exactly what it is. That's so beautifully put. I could talk to you all day and all right. night, breath, it's night, but I do want to make sure that I give you an opportunity. You've mentioned your podcast. You mentioned some of the groups oh. and the things that you're doing, but I want you to actually like label them. So our listeners or people can follow them or find you. Tell us how we access more of the amazing work that you and, and your partner are doing. So our goal is just to get people passionate about their own nutritional behavior. And I wanted to say one thing to you before we move on to that about, you know, the cooking, because a lot of people have the same tunnel vision. I just need to heat up vegetables. And then they learn the art of a crepe. They learn the art of even using like something like a waffle maker or making a panini press at home, something that's not super difficult, but it's, it is to them. And I would say to you, how awesome is the concept of variable reinforcement tied in with the philosophy of behavioral momentum? Hmm? That's, that's really no different than what we're doing there. It's like you're learning terminal skills as far as, okay, I can heat up green beans. That's great. But that's not reinforcing enough to continue going on. Like eventually my MO of being healthy and, and outliving the, the jerks, that's going to run out. So then what? No, wait till, you, wait till you get the art. And I did that in our cooking class. The art of making a sauce, the sizzle of the onions, the smell, the translucence, like the, the smell of the garlic roasting off, the tomato paste coming in, the tomato sauce, the crushed tomatoes coming, like all of these things coming together is a, a task analysis of the sensory variety. So you're tying together these beautiful smells, hopefully. Sometimes the burnt stuff gets in there too. But you're, you know, you're tying together these experiences with these behavior changes. And I would argue that tying in what is, I guess, these conditional MOs with the behavior itself strengthens the likelihood that it's going to happen more and more. So that's one of the big passions I have to share with people is, is kind of what you're talking about, bringing the ABA knowledge down to the level of, oh man, task analysis is a recipe. You know, I made a meme about that like a year and a half ago and it blew up. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so funny. Like it's really, that's all it is. It's just these steps. And the beautiful part is it's different for everybody. But I'll, again, soapbox over um, where you can find us. I guess that's important. You, you can find us at behaviorchef.com. Um, we have, uh, it's, it's still in the process. It is up and functional, but I'm, you know, in the midst of fixing that um, and, and adding some new things to it. We do have an active podcast. The pandemic has slowed me down a little bit, but I have a couple of episodes coming out and I'm always looking for more guests. Um, we've made a pivotal shift for ourselves away from every once in a while we'll do expertise. We'll have people in from outside areas, but we're really focusing on this thing called the human series. So what I'm doing with the human series, we have a couple episodes out already. Um, and I have a few more to release. I'm just having people come on to talk about their nutritional behavior as what it means to them. There's no, there's no operational definition that I've made. It's the operational definition of the organism, the person. So if it's gaining weight, losing weight, learning how to cook, whatever it is, it's their story. And so 
and uh, we will break it down a little bit to the non-ABA crowd. Uh, you know, I use a couple of ideas, just talk about some of the key concepts. It usually always comes back to the same, um, and it's interesting, almost like pseudo-research, because it always comes back to ontogeny. It always comes back to the learning history of that individual. It's so, so important. But I really want to create these as an MO for the listener, for them to be like, hey, I can do that too. Hey, that's me. You know, it's, it's all right. You know, we have this, you were talking about it off as a joke, you know, off air, Insta famous, you know, and fake book. Um, when, when that's all we do, especially in a pandemic, if you spend all your time there, your MO of what life is like is going to change. You know, your expectation of what life should look like, it should look like these people and that get paid by these sponsors. And it doesn't, they don't even look like that. Um, you know, they look like that for a moment, they're airbrushed they're, you know, and, and this isn't to knock or drag anybody. That's one of those people. I think that's a lot of work and it's really hard, but it's also not a real full view of reality. You know, it's, it's a partiality. So I want to show you the individual who's the, the mom at home with three kids or the busy behavior analyst who just graduated and just figured out that being a BCBA is really more about the imposter syndrome than it is about talking to insurance companies or whatever it is. You can do these things like, you know, if, if, if Dr. Kelly here can be, you know, this woman who pushes legislation in Hawaii and does all these fantastic things and, you know, in her adult life realizes, oh, I need to learn to cook and can do it and find that it's fun. I don't really know a better example in front of me than the person I'm talking to. So you can do it too. With that said, we have the Behavior Chef podcast on all platforms. You can also get it straight from our website. We have, we're at Facebook at Behavior Chef, Instagram at The Behavior Chef. Instagram won't let me change the handle to take off the, but that's just me. Um, the Behavior Chef at gmail.com. You know, um, Behavior Analysts Get Fed. If you are... I'm considering opening the the floodgates because of the responses we're getting about it. But if you are pseudo somehow connected to behavior analysis, uh, it originally originated just for behavior analysts. Um, And we've had some people that are teachers that use ABA and like all these other people coming in that are interested in what we're doing in the group. Um, Come join us on Facebook at behavior analysts get fed. We'd love to have you to talk. It's a safe spot for people to come talk about this kind of stuff. And uh, I hope I can get you passionate and, um, I like to end anything that I say with something I stole from, and I give credit. So I guess it's not really, I'm citing um, an interview that I did with Dr. Hayes where um, he had mentioned, you know, I don't really, he talked about not liking the word disseminate. He, uh, he, he talked me off a ledge with that one. He's like, you know, I stopped using that because that's that to me, that kind of says I have something that you need. And that's not a very good ivory approach. You know, I don't want to be the ivory tower approach when I'm helping someone. So he said, now if I do a talk or a book signing, I simply say, I hope I've been helpful to you. And, um, and that's kind of been something that I've adopted that I hope in this conversation of our ramblings at night in the middle of a pandemic to escape our own, you know, behaviors and all this stuff that we can actually be helpful to you. And um, I am very thankful. And as Tony is, oh, I didn't even give his plug. So we have, um, Behavior Bites, which is a video series on YouTube. And Tony is trained as a videographer, a sound engineer, and an avid home chef of many kids. Um, And Tony's been doing this for a long time. So go check out the YouTube channel, Behavior Bites. Um, You can also find that at our our Facebook page. But Tony's literally, and I can't give you all the details, but Tony is putting together a masterclass of sorts with video modeling, BST, and some task analyses. So we're using our science to create a high quality masterclass um, to teach people how to cook. And, uh, and that's, I'm more of the nutritional 
uh, applied science thing. Tony is the art of cooking. You know, I, I can cook. Tony can cook. Um, it's it's not fair, really. I'm trying to catch up, but I've got a long way to go. But I, I'll say, I think my my last big takeaway is this: that values driven behavior change is contagious. I think we've made some really really cool connective points in our conversation today. Clint, I want to thank you. And I also want to extend the Behavior Babe website to make sure that I have a platform and a landing page for nutrition and health and fitness and and all of these kinds of areas. And I definitely want to um, solicit your help to make that robust. For anyone who's interested, you can learn more at the sites that Clint let us know about tonight, or you can check us out at Mm www.behaviorbabe.com. 